Hey folks, it's American Looney, it's Michael Miller, and welcome to another episode of Miller Says It All, episode 8. And I'd like to thank everybody who's been listening, uh, either on Anchor, on the main station here, or um, our parent company Spotify, or Apple, or anywhere else. Of course, Anchor, you get to listen to the full shows, depending on the topic and stuff. Um, yeah, so, yeah, we can begin listeners from, of course, my home country here in the United States of America. Um, also, uh, in Canada, Germany, Malta, Brazil, Colombia, Netherlands, United Kingdom, Japan, Argentina, Mexico, and Finland, some of the countries that have been checking out this podcast here. And today's podcast, uh, in case you guys don't know the premise of this show, is we look back at different things in pop culture, um, and different topics, um, the past hundred years from 1920 to present day and today we're going back uh to this this week in the next particular week and a little beyond back in 1981 and we're doing an album review it's gonna be our second album review here this particular album was number one this week and the next week back in 1981 and also was number one in the fall into the holiday season 1981 and went number one again in early uh, 1982 for a total of 10 weeks at number one and this would be this band's biggest album ever uh, this band was formed in 1976 as a six-man lineup and by the time uh, they worked on this album the band got lowered down to four people and this was the lineup at the time uh, in 1981 when this album came out um, you had Lou Graham Rochester native Rochester New York native I should say uh, lead vocals, and of course, if uh, Lou Graham ever gets to listen to this podcast, I mean, that'd be cool. Yeah, so my relatives down that way, pass it around. Um, Mick Jones, guitar, backing vocals, and keyboard, mainly the leader of the group at this point, um, and the founder. Um, and then you had Dennis Elliott on drums, and also backing vocals. And then you had Rick Wells, who joined the group two years prior and became the new bass player. And also was on backing vocals. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, I'm talking about one of the biggest rock bands of all time. And I'm talking about the one, the only Foreigner. And today we're looking back at their album Four, which was co-produced by Mick Jones and Mutt Lang. And at this time, Mutt Lang, I think, was also producing for ACDC and Def Leppard. So, yeah, he was definitely hitting the go train there, Mutt. Uh, pretty much, uh, 4 was released on July 2nd, 1981. I mentioned it was number one for two weeks, from August 22nd to September 5th. It would knock off, uh, Pat Bantar's, uh, Precious Time album, but then it would be knocked off the charts by Stevie Nicks' uh, Belladonna album. Then it came back in November 21st, around time Thanksgiving, knocked off, uh, the Rolling Stones' Tattoo You album, and it was number one up to... Day after Christmas, when another Muttling album um, uh, he produced for ACDC for those about the rock, we salute you. Uh, knocked Foreigner off, and then Foreigner came back one more time from January 16th to February 6th, 1982, where they knocked off ACDC. You know, a little trade back and forth between the two groups, and then. Finally, we're knocked off the charts uh, at number one by Jade Giles' band with Freeze Frame. Of course, five big singles came off the album. Uh, some are still uh, staple songs on radio to this day. You got Urgent, Waiting for a Girl Like You, Jukebox Hero, Break It Up, and Luann. And this album was recorded at the Electric Lady Studios, the famous studios founded by Jimi Hendrix in New York City. And of course, I mentioned before, it was produced by, um, co-produced by playing with Mick Jones but and I also should mention too that uh, Thomas Dolby Mr. Shibamani uh, Science and um, uh, Hyperactive and uh, all that those songs um, uh, actually played synthesizers on the album and yeah pretty much uh, you know so you had Mutt Ling and Ian Lloyd who was the uh Formerly singer of the um, rock group Stories also did backing vocals for the album. And you had the famous Junior Walker play the saxophone solo uh, on uh, the song Urgent. 
You know, if you guys remember Junior Walker from the 60s with Shotgun, that was his big uh, hit with the All-Stars. So, anyway, enough of me talking here. As usual, let's get back to the history of how this album came about and in the formation of uh, Foreigner. So pretty much, if we're gonna go start with the brief history of Foreigner, of course you got to go uh, start with Mick Jones, the founder, you know, and still running the band to this day. You know, songwriter, guitarist, and the group. Mick was born Michael Leslie Jones on December 27th, 1944, in Portsmouth, Hampshire, England. Probably his first major group that he was involved with was a UK group called Nero and the Gladiators, who had a few minor hits in the UK. They're known as a gimmick group, basically, because the lead singer was in the toga while the, the backing guys were in gladiator suits. But after pretty much the band broke up, uh, Mick would end up going to France and work as a songwriter and session musician there. Uh, he would um, pretty much work with Johnny Holiday, who was known as the French Elvis. And wrongly enough, in 1964, he was uh, dating... Um, a French singer known as Sylvie Vartan, who at one point in 1964 opened up for the Beatles, who came over to do a European tour uh, at that point in 1964. And Mick uh, became friends with the Beatles, of course, and ended up working at least with two of them um, later back, you know, in the, you know, later in the 1970s, which I'll get to here in a bit. And. Pretty much, I mean, throughout the 60s, he remained in France. Probably one of the most well-known tracks he played for her that was released in France. That uh, was done by Johnny Holiday. I actually had uh, Jimmy Page on guitar. And before uh, Jimmy would leave the Yardbirds, apparently, and form uh, Led Zeppelin. And the song's called Two Casser. And I guess pretty much after that, I mean, he was working with Johnny and working with other French artists or anyone else who came to record in France. But, 1971, he would um, come back to the UK and he ended up um, joining up with Gary Wright, who was uh, known for being the band Spooky Tooth. Of course, we all know Gary Wright in, in the States for the song um, Dreamweaver. And, of course, Gary also worked with George Harrison, ironically enough, on All Things Must Pass. And they formed a group called Wonder Wheel. And get a little more detail about Gary and Mick's uh, rock and roll relationship here in the next segment. So in 1972, uh, Gary Wright and uh, Mick Jones decided to reform uh, Spooky Tooth, uh, the group that Gary had. Uh, back in 1969, 1970, that uh, um, did okay um, with some minor hits and stuff. They were uh, better uh, known for their concerts than they were their albums. But um, Gary was able to get most of the original band back together, and of course now Mick Jones is a member of the group. In May 1973, uh, they released their first uh, album um, after reuniting with Mick Jones called you broke my heart so i busted your jaw <laughs> i'm not kidding this that's actually the name of the album and november 1973 um they had their second album uh witness and then october of 1974 they had um the mirror uh which is i i guess it's um become a classic album now um but this was the last album of the reunited uh, Spooky Tooth. Um, it would gradually split apart again for the final time. And around this time in 1974, um, Mick would uh, be in the studio with uh, his old pal Gary and play uh, acoustic guitar on the uh, famous George Harrison song, Ding Dong Ding Dong, which I guess is considered a Christmas song from George. Um, and um, also Ringo Starr was a drummer, so he actually got to play on a track with two of the Beatles, and technically a George Harrison solo track. Uh, 
And then pretty much um, he would join up with uh, Leslie West, who's the uh, lead guitarist from Mountain. Uh, Leslie had his own band called the Leslie West Band, and they released a self-titled album back in 1976, which Mick was on. And apparently, um, touring-wise, the 1976 for band did not end up well, and the band ended up uh, going their own separate ways, and Mick ended up being stranded in New York City. And at this point, uh, Bud Prager, who was Leslie West's manager, who had later become Foreigner's manager, um, convinced um, uh, Mick to stay around and try to get another band going. And he had some uh, office space for him to um, be able to do it. And, um, well, we'll talk about that here a little bit, but we're going to obviously talk about another equation of the uh, 1981 lineup here uh, that would meet up with Mick Jones in 1976. Um, come right after this. Alright, the second part of this equation of this lineup of Foreigner um, is Dennis Elliott, uh, who would be the drummer for Foreigner for a good portion of the band's history. Uh, Dennis was born August 18, 1950 in Peckham, London, England. Um, he basically grew up around a musical family. He was in this family band playing drums at the age of five. And also as a teenager, he would be uh, in a band with his older brother Raymond known as the Team the T-Set. Um, and he would be in bands called like Chevelles in the 60s and Ferris Wheel, which um, in 1970 would be on their self-titled album. But uh, one of the big bands he played for in the early 70s, uh, actually as far as back as 1969 actually, but uh, they would he would do five albums with the group. It was called a band called If. And uh, if we're a well-known jazz rock band in the UK, and um, I guess did pretty well uh, UK-wise. And um, then 1972, he would play for the uh, Roy Young Band. Um, but probably one of his really first big breaks was the play on the uh, solo album for Ann Hunter, who was the at the time, former lead singer for uh, Mop the Hoople, he decided to go solo, and Dennis played on his uh, first solo album, and probably one of the most well-known songs that Dennis played on was the original version of Once Bent Twice Shy, which my generation knows from uh, Great White, doing their version of it, and um, but Dennis played on the original, you know, drums of course, and then... 1975, he decided to move to the United States, and then within the next year or so, uh, at a recording session, he would end up meeting Mick Jones, and and the two would hook up with two other guys, and obviously, um, we'll talk a little more about how Mick actually got Foreigner uh, together, um, up to the you know point they were looking for a lead singer. So it's 1976 in New York City, and pretty much Mick Jones took the advice of uh, Bud Prager, who ended up being the future manager of Foreigner, and he decided to get a band together, and he ended up meeting with uh, Al Greenwood, who would be one of the original six members of Foreigner, um, and he played keyboards, and on this session he had uh, Stan Williams on drums, and Jay Davis on bass, and then Ann Lloyd, uh, who... Wrongly enough, I mentioned earlier in the show, um, he was a backup vocal for the Four album, but at this point, um, he was in the band called Stories, which had a big hit in the United States called Brother Louie, and apparently the session didn't go how Mick Jones wanted it to go, um, he pretty much, the only person he kept on from the session was Al Greenwood, so... He ended up meeting up with uh, Ann McDonald from King Crimson, and Ann was uh, a guitar player uh, and also uh, played keyboards and saxophone, and another founding member of Foreigner. 
And he also met up with uh, Dennis Elliott. Well, I believe at the time what I read was at another session for Ian Hunter. Uh, and decided, uh, decided to bring him on as a drummer. And then they got a uh, dude from Brooklyn. That'd be another original member of um, Foreigner, uh, Ed. Hope I pronounced his last name right. Gagalardi. I think that's his name. Pronounce his name. And Ed apparently was a right-hand bass player, but he loved playing left-hand, obviously, because he was a big Paul McCartney fan. But apparently, they, uh, according to Mick, they auditioned at least well over 40 or 50 singers. Uh, to be the leader of this new band that he, um, was forming with the, you know, four of the guys. And then he remembered a gig that Spooky Tooth did, uh, back uh, a couple years ago in Rochester, New York, where he met this guy who was a lead singer of a group called Black Sheep. And this guy gave, uh, Mick the copy of their first major album, which was on Capitol Records. And the guy who was the lead singer of Black Sheep was Lou Graham Cato, who would, once he would join up with Mick, would um, shorten his uh, name to Lou Graham. And we're going to go in the next segment here and talk a little history about Lou and how he am joined with the other guys and pretty much um, the first year foreigner. Alright, Lou Graham, who was born Louis Andrew Gramatico, was born May 2nd, 1950 in Rochester, New York, or Rochester, New York, for anyone who didn't understand what I was talking about. Um, Lou uh, was alumni of Gates Charlie High School, so he definitely grew up in the Burbs as a kid. Um, his dad was a band leader, so he also came from a musical background. His mother also was a singer. Uh, Lou apparently was in a bunch of uh, bands around Rochester, and of course the, the big one he was in um, back in the mid-70s um, was Black Sheep. And Black Sheep um, did alright pretty well. They were um, they had a single out in 1974 and then uh, signed by Capitol Records and had two albums. Uh, the first one was self-titled Black Sheep, and uh, the second one was called Courage and Words. Of course, it was 1974 at a gig in Rochester uh, by Spooky Tooth. They were over in the States touring at the time where Lou met um, Mick Jones. Um, and Lou would give him a copy of, uh, I believe, their first album. And it would be two years later when Mick was looking for a lead singer for the new band he was forming. They remember Lou Graham, um, and he called Lou from up in Rochester. At this point, Black Sheep was no more. Unfortunately, it wasn't musical differences; it was um, you know, money issues that ended up breaking up the band. Um, Black Sheep was on tour in 1975 around Christmas time, opening up for Kiss, and apparently, um, their equipment truck got in an accident, and basically all their equipment got wrecked. And they didn't have the money to continue the tour and also support the their latest album and unfortunately it just led to the breakup and then Lou ended up getting a job for a time being uh, I think being a, a janitor uh, according to the Behind the Music episode and he got the call from uh, Mick Jones to come down to audition to be a lead singer had to borrow money from his parents to fly down from Rochester to New, uh, New York City of course people are thinking who are not familiar with New York State he wanted to fly down because, well, New York State's a pretty big state. Uh, your Rochester's about, well, I would say about me, what, six hours away from New York City? <laughs> you know? Not everything's in New York City uh, when you hear the weird word New York. Excuse me. Um, but overall, yeah, Luke went down to New York City, auditioned for uh, Mick, and Mick found his man, and... Hence, the band was formed with the six guys. And after this, uh, we'll look into the history of uh, the first album.
So finally, the band was set. Six-man lineup. Mick Jones, of course, on guitar. You had Ann McDonald on guitar and uh, occasional keyboard and, and saxophone. Uh, Al Greenwood on keyboards. Um, Dennis... Elliot, um, geez, I forgot his name already. Dennis Elliot, no, no, sorry, Dennis, if you listen to this podcast, I'm a little brain fart there. Dennis Elliot on drums. Um, Ed uh, Giger Lardy on um, bass, and um, Lou Graham on vocals. And the original name of the band was Trigger, apparently, and but uh, there was some confusion because there was another band uh, that was named Trigger, and when Atlantic Records and I was signing the band, uh, and they had to tell them, like, oh, there's another band named Trigger, um, we got confused with them, so, Mick Jones came up with the name Foreigner, because he figured, yeah, no matter where to go, uh, you know, each guy's in the band would consider Foreigners, because since three of them are from Britain, and three of them are from America, that, you know, they would be considered Foreigners no matter what, which way they would go, and... Um, so Foreigner was signed by Atlantic Records in November 1976. They started recording what would be their debut self-titled album, uh, Foreigner, and and up being released on March 8th, 1977, and probably to a lot of people one of the best rock albums that ever come out. Um, and ended up being number four on the charts. So it was a top five album. Um, it actually apparently went to number one in Norway. Um, and it was produced by, um, John Sinclair and Gary Lyons with some collaborations from Mick Jones and Ian McDonald. And of course, three, uh, singles came out. Of course, it feels like the first time, which was a top five hit on its own. Um, Cold as Ice, the top ten, uh, here in the States and Canada. And Long, Long Way From Home from top 20. And I just found, of course, the Behind the Music episode, 400 Dead. Um, apparently, um... They didn't, uh, they didn't expect the album to be the huge monster that it became. And um, so they ended up you know, doing tours when they weren't exactly ready to perform as a group yet. Because they have only done like you know studio work as a group. They haven't uh, gone out and performed live. So they were playing like big arenas and stuff. You know, and then the fact that they pretty much played the whole entire album because that's the only songs they knew uh, from each other so um but overall you know the first album was success but at the same time though things were starting to boil a little bit obviously mick jones uh, obviously wanted uh, a band go a different direction and, and of course there's you know guys like ed the bass player uh who saw things his way and also uh Apparently, I guess during the tour, uh, Dennis got mad at Mick and took a swung at him and um, hit a wall, I believe, and broke his um, hand, so he had to bring in another drummer in for a uh, bit to help out on the tour. Overall, though, the first album being uh, uh, their debut album uh, was a success, and, and that's pretty much uh, what was going on for them for the first year in 1977, and... Just before they would go in the studio to record their second album, they would be part of the uh, California Jam 2 on uh, March 18th, 1978, and which was in front of 200,000 people. And also they did a tour in Europe and Japan and Australia before they went back in the studio to uh, do their uh, second album. So, the second album that Foreigner put out um, was released on June 20th, 1978, and of course called Double Vision. Um, it was co-produced by Keith Olsen, who had known for doing some hits as uh, Don't You Forget About Me, you know, and also producing Billy Idol albums back in the 19, well, in 1980s uh, down the road, but at this point in 1978, he was co-producing with uh, Foreigner, uh, with mainly Mick Jones and Ian McDonald, the group, on this album. Um, this one was a top three album, so it was their biggest album at this point, also top three album in Canada, uh, released three singles, Hot-Blooded, just one of their signature tunes. So it was a top three hit in the um, United States and also in Canada. Double Vision, um, another big hit from them, uh, was a number two hit. 
probably the biggest hit at that point. And Blue Morning, Blue, uh, Blue Day uh, was the top 20 hit. Uh, pretty much they had the uh, same kind of success as the first album, actually, and, you know, touring and supporting the album. But obviously there was tensions amongst the group still. Mick Jones was pretty much getting really frustrated with the bass player, Ed, um, at this point, And he wanted to change the lineup uh, by the time 1979 rolled around. And um, apparently uh, Ed was fired. And according to Lou Graham in his autobiography that he wrote, um, saying that Ed was kind of headstrong and his ideas weren't exactly compatible with the, the group. Like he would uh, play something differently than what Mick, or who was writing the song at that point, uh, wanted to uh, be on the recording. And I think it took... And according to Behind the Music episode, where we interviewed Ed about that, I think it took him by surprise because he figured, why ruin a good thing by, you know, uh, letting me go? But obviously, Mick Jones was um, wanting more and more control over the group. And I guess he saw Ed as an obstacle. So they brought in another bass player from uh, the UK, and his name is Rick Wills. And uh, right after this, we'll talk a little bit about his background. Alright, so the last equation of the uh, piece of the puzzle here for the four-man lineup of 41981 uh, begins in 1979 uh, with Rick Wills coming into the group. Uh, Rick was born Richard William Wills, uh, December 5th, 1947, Cambridge, England. Um, he actually would start his career in local bands, including one called Soul Community uh, Bullet. And um, one of the guys in the group was David Gilmore, who would later be the lead singer of uh, Pink Floyd. So it's kind of a Pink Floyd connection with uh, Foreigner here. Uh, he was in another band with, uh, with David Gilmore called Joker's Wild uh, in 1966. And then it would last about two years. Um, and then uh, Rick, would, later down the road, would play for uh, Peter Frampton uh, when Peter went solo. For his first three albums um and then uh, 1976 rick played for roxy music for there for a little bit and then the um speaking of peter frampton connection because he was in home of high with steve uh, marriott um the small faces uh at a re- uh, re-nine in, in 1977 because of interview park being released in the uk and it became popular again and the guys decided to get back together um, the original bass player, Ronnie Lane, uh, didn't last too long in the reunion, so, uh, Rick Wells was, uh, brought in to, um, be a member of the Small Faces, and he ended up playing on the two reunion albums, um, uh, Playmates, that came out in August 1977, and, uh, 78 in the Shade 1978, which featured, uh, Jimmy McCulloch, who was the, uh, lead guitarist in Wings, um, apparently... Had enough of Paul McCartney <laughs> and uh, called up McCartney and saying, I'm going to join, you know, Small Faces uh, with Steve Marriott. And of course, I imagine McCartney's reaction is, Okay, do you know, um, awful Paul McCartney impression. But anyway, sidetracking here a little bit. Um, so Rick did those two albums with Small Faces, and um, yeah, the uh, obviously the reunion only lasted a couple of years, and the band broke up, and then. Um, then, um, Rick went back working for his old buddy David Gilmore on a, a solo album that he released in 1978, and then in 1979, he got the call to join Foreigner, and just in time to work on the third album. So the third album Foreigner put out was on September 10th, 1979, called Head Games. And uh, Roy Thomas Baker, who was the first producer of Queen, was uh, the main producer in this album, of course, along with Mick Jones and Ann McDonald. Um, five singles came off this album. Uh, Dirty White Boy, which was a top 20 hit. Also in top 20 in Canada. Uh, Head Games, which was a top 20 hit. Also top 20 in Canada, and um, Women, and Love on the Telephone, and I'll get, uh, I'll get Even With You, and um, 
This time, this album only reached into the top five, which and also in Canada too as well, which isn't bad. But um, this album was like the first album that it didn't do as well compared to the first two albums. And um, on behind the music uh, episode, Foreigner uh, Mick was Jones talked about the fact that. Um, at this point, he got involved uh, using cocaine, and obviously his ego got to his head a, a little bit, and caused some friction during the recording of the album. And um, <laughs> I went away for Rick to join uh, Foreigner, and you know, um, and have some conflicts already. You know, just being a new guy. Um, also, Lou Graham mentioned that. You know, the cover of the album, because uh, the cover of uh, Head Games is a girl in a boy's bathroom trying to wipe off her name off of the wall of a boy's bathroom. It might have been controversial. And some markets down south didn't want to, you know, put the albums in stores because of the cover of the album. But I would say pretty much it was just, you know, there were many music differences um, from all sides and then, you know, the drugs coming into the group and... All that, um, that probably didn't make it as a great album that it probably should have been. And within the next year or so, um, you know, they were getting ready to record the next album. And Mick pretty much uh, saw there was uh, too many guys in the group. And he uh, decided that six people were uh, too many people. And, um... He shortened the lineup, and he basically let go Al Greenwood uh, and uh, Ann McDonald. And uh, apparently, Ann McDonald was uh, taken aback because I mean, obviously, he was involved in production on the first three albums, and thought probably Mick was an equal partner. And um, he didn't exactly want to leave the group. He had a good time being in Foreigner, but you know, just Mick Jones pretty much pretty much wanted to control the group, and he you know saw that you know having six guys in the group was not uh being helpful anymore and and um according to lou graham's book uh there was definitely a lot of um dissatisfaction amongst the groups they weren't communicating with each other that much and yeah all six guys you know pretty much basically between mick and jones and Ann mcdonald there was a lot of music differences so i mean yeah so Basically, by December 1980, um, I was down to four guys. Um, Mick Jones on guitar. Um, Lou Graham, lead vocals, of course. Um, Dennis Elliott on drums. And uh, Rick w Wills on uh, bass. And they would go into Electric Land Studios in, in December 1980 and record uh, one of their, probably their best album they ever did as a group. So from December 1980 to April 1981 in the Electric Lady Studios in New York City, uh, Foreigner would work on what would probably be one of their uh, greatest masterpieces, the Four album, with the new Four lineup, um, basically. And um, of course the album would, would be released, uh, mentioned previously, on July 2nd, 1981. And it was co-produced co by Mutt Lang, which definitely helped because... Uh, before uh, Mutt worked on um, four here, um, his last big album he produced was Back in Black by ECDC. Of course, that one was a monster hit album, you know. And within the same year, he would work with ACDC again with those from About the Rock, We Salute You, and Def Leppard's uh, High and Dry album. So. Mutt was definitely a hit-making machine, and of course, Mick Jones uh, co-produced the album with Mutt. And so, yeah, basically, the original title of the um, uh, album was supposed to be Silent Partners, but then they decided to change to four, being it's the fourth album, and um, the lineup's now four people. And now it's time for the album review. So, you know, we're actually going to look, listen to each track my track and I'll I guess I'll give my opinion of each track and uh, we'll start off with the, the first one here called Nightlife so uh, here's the first track off the 4 album by Foreigner called Nightlife 
Alright, we just heard Nightlife, first track off of the 4 album by Foreigner. Um, pretty good start to the album. Um, definitely, you can tell, you know, it was definitely a Mutt kind of track because, uh, sounds similar to, uh, some of the songs Leopard would do in High and Dry. They showed the guitar parts and stuff, but, uh, overall, yeah, it was a great, uh, start to the, um, album here. And, of course, the next track is, uh, one of their biggest hits or signature songs, um, it uh, was a top 30 hit here in the United States, uh, top 3 in the mainstream rock charts. Uh, it was top 30 in Germany, and top 10 in South Africa, where actually Muttling grew up in. And the song is uh, Jukebox Hero, and of course, I remember Jukebox Hero later on in my life. Um, yeah, later on in my life. Uh, when I was 21 and I was able to drink, uh, one of the first bars I went to, um, I was living in this crappy apartment at the time uh, outside of Rochester, New York, when I was going to college. And uh, there was this bar down the road. Also, it was a cattle um, stock um, place where you can, you know, bet on cattle, or whatever. But there was a little bar called Don's. I, I don't know if it's still officially there or not, but um, yeah, it was my first bar drinking there, and. Uh, they didn't have too much rock uh, tracks in their jukebox. It was mostly country music, but one of the rock tracks they had was uh, Foreigner's, um, I believe, their greatest hits album that came out after uh, 4 um, was released. And um, one of the tracks they used to play all the time, because probably because there was a commercial that had Jukebox Hero playing at the time. And um, so obviously I used to play Jukebox Hero like crazy all the time when I was, you know, being stupid and young, you know, and drinking in a bar, but, you know, I, you know, I, the song means a lot of memories to me at that point in my life, so, um, of course, I wasn't standing in the rain, <laughs> looking for a ticket, um, so, enough of me talking, I mean, this is a great song overall, anyway, I mean, I've, I've heard it much before, and if you haven't heard it yet, Get ready to get your mind blown away from this rock classic. Here's you know the second track off of four, Jukebox Hero um, by Foreigner. All right, that was Jukebox Hero, one of the signature tracks of Foreigner, and the second track off this album here that we're reviewing. Uh, of course, we're reviewing the four album by Foreigner. And the next track here is um, also another hit for them. Um, it was the song's called "Break It Up." It's a top thirty um, single. Um, so I don't think I've really heard this track before. It doesn't probably get played in the radio as much as it probably used to back in the day. So let's get into it right now. So here's "Break It Up" by Foreigner. Alright, that was Break It Up by Foreigner. Um, uh, pretty good track. It's definitely what a lot of the uh, rock tracks um, with bands like Foreigner would do in the early mid-80s. So it was, you know, pretty good song overall, I would think. And, well, let's see. Our next track is going to be the biggest hit single off the album. And one of their another signature songs. And if you're... Uh, Band of Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Uh, this was definitely one of the songs on the um, on the video game, and it's of course "Waiting for a Girl Like You." And apparently, Tom Stoby wrote the uh, synthesizer theme for the song, and Ann McDonald got credit for the opening um, montage. Apparently, or uh, opening lines uh, for the song. Apparently, I guess so. They were working on the song. Long before uh, he got the axe from um, Mick Jones. Uh, Waiting for a Girl, and at this point, um, being their second biggest hit, um, and it was number two on the charts, uh, number f- five in the adult contemporary charts, uh, was number one in the mainstream rock uh, charts, and also it did pretty well in Canada, it was number two, so enough of me talking. Uh, here's the classic. Waiting for a Girl Like You by Foreigner, the fourth track off the Four album. Well, 
lot of people can argue the case that Waiting for a Girl Like You was the first of the uh, rock ballads that, you know, rock bands like Foreigner put out, you know, where, you know, they have the softer side that appealed to the chicks, you know, because that was the big thing back in the 1980s, you know, the rock ballads, which I think were mainly started by the, the arena rockers, you know, before, like, the hair metal band guys got into them, but, you know, but Foreigner, you know, I would make a case that this is definitely one of the first ones, but... Classic track from Foreigner, of course, Waiting for a Girl Like You. And, of course, our next track here is a live staple for them. Uh, it was a minor hit and only topped in the top 80 at the time when it was released off of the uh, 4 album. And this song's called Luann. Alright, that was Luann by Foreigner. Um... Uh, it was like a typical classic rocker track, you know, and the typical rock you know, like chords and stuff, and uh, it was alright song. I mean, probably some people like it. I could see why it didn't climb that high in the pop charts. Yeah, it was like people probably listened to like, eh, uh, next. <laughs> um, alright, the next track was another big hit off the album. Um, it was a top four hit on its own. Uh, um, it was number one in the uh, mainstream rock charts, so it was the second one to hit the uh, top of the mainstream rock charts off this album. And even it was a top 40 dance hit, uh, but it was number one in Canada and South Africa. And of course, I mentioned before earlier in the show that the saxophone solo on this was by Junior Walker from the famous Junior Walker and the All Stars. And this song is urgent, and of course, this is also a stable one foreigner. Uh, to the stand radio, and uh, of course, I remember urging being played on the Burger King commercial back in the late 90s. Uh, so, enough of me talking, let's get into urgent. <laughs> Hopefully, it won't be a love emergency here on uh, Miller Says It All. All right, that was urgent, my foreigner. Uh, six track off of four uh, their fourth album of course classic track um, pretty much speaks for itself <laughs> so now we're getting to the deep tracks of the album and songs probably don't get played as much off the album and uh, the first one here uh, the seventh track is I'm going to win so I never I probably don't think I've heard this one before so it's the first for me so here's I'm going to win by foreigner Alright, now as I'm going to win by Foreigner, the soundtrack off the 4 album. Uh, I wouldn't have to say so far, this is probably the hardest song they've done on the album. Uh, it was okay, I mean, obviously it's a song about saying I'm going to rise above a certain situation, you know, and, and I mean, yeah. Definitely sound like a Mutt Lane track, there's no question about that, um, but... Yeah, I mean, overall the song was okay. I'd definitely say it was their hardest uh, song on the album so far from what I've listened to. And Alright, speaking of the album, the next track here is called Woman in Black. Another one I've probably never heard yet. So, here's Woman in Black by Foreigner. Alright, that was Woman in Black by Foreigner off the four album, of course, and that's where we're doing here today on Miller Says It All, reviewing the four album. Um, yeah, um, I would say it's another hard rocking track. Definitely Mick Jones was showing his, off his guitar skills with the solos and stuff and the riffs. Um, yeah, I mean, it was good. It was a good track. Um, obviously, it didn't get played too much on radio because it's a deep track off the album but yeah i would say woman in black is a pretty uh, good track i noticed a lot about this album you know that mutt must use a lot of the techniques he used for this album and used it on high and dry because i mean the you know the high and dry album and this album kind of sound similar to each other to a certain degree obviously because it's produced by the same guy but lang and um well, yeah, that was the eighth track off the album. And of course, we're going to number nine. And this one's called Girl on the Moon. Another one I've never heard yet. So here's Girl on the Moon by Foreigner. All 
Alright, that was Girl on the Moon by Foreigner, uh, ninth track off the four album. It seems to me on these deep cuts uh, here that Mick Jones is uh, definitely showing off his guitar skills. I mean, this was an, another nice track. Uh, kind of a slow track, but uh, Mick was showing off his guitar skills. Uh, and the similar riff like um, riff that I think Iron Maiden would use in a song, and even Metallica would use in a song. But, um, yeah, Girl on the Moon, nice track, um, kind of like one of those tracks that you hear a lot back in that point in the 80s, you know, or down the road in the 80s, and, yeah, well, we're hearing the last track of the album, guys, uh, off the 4 album, and this one's called Don't Let Go, another one I probably haven't heard yet before, so this is the last song off the album as we're getting close to ending this podcast episode and this is don't let go by foreigner all right that was don't let go by foreigner on uh, the last track off the four album which was their uh, biggest hit album went number one for 10 weeks in different parts of uh, within the year uh, of course this particular week back in 1981 for two weeks or so uh, and then uh, late fall into the holiday season and then uh, early 1982 uh, don't let go track wise I mean it was okay I wouldn't say it was I would have to say maybe it's the weakest track of the of the album probably and it kind of sucks that that would be the last song on the album officially but looking at this album uh four and I mean the icon it is I would say pretty much it still holds up yeah there are some tracks that are like are kind of like you know in its time where you know you know it's 80s but again, it was 1981, and the 80s sound was kind of developing, so Foreigner and, you know, Mutt Lang, who was the producer of the album, obviously kind of, you know, started that sound, you know, for rock bands, you know, in the, the arena, hard rock era, and also the hair bands to sound like they were going to be sounding like in the 80s. But overall, I, I would say Foreigner is still a classic album. Um, Foreigner is still a great band. Um... It's a shame that, you know, the, the original guys, or at least even this lineup's not together anymore, obviously. But Mick Jones still keeping the, the flames burning with Foreigner. Um, so we're in the band, of course. And, um, yeah, well, that was Foreigner's uh, fourth album. And I don't know, one of these days we'll probably do a review of the previous albums and also the albums that came out after four. But that would be for another podcast show. So, anyway, thank you guys for listening uh, to uh, Miller Says It All, Episode 8. Uh, looking back on the four album by Foreigner. And going number one. Uh, and um, thank you again for listening. Of course, I mentioned before, you guys can uh, send me a message here on Anchor. Um, and I might be able to answer your questions, whatever. And also, you can you know listen to anywhere else. Our parent company, Spotify, uh, Apple, anywhere um, that gets podcasting, pretty much. And thank you guys again for listening. I really appreciate it. Peace, take care of each other, and I'll be back next week for a different topic, a different year, of course. And peace, rock on, and be good to each other.